Nurse, for the sake of the visitor that we have today, my name is Judy Njeri Geshoro, and I thank God, and I always see it as a privilege that he has given me this opportunity to serve this congregation as their lead pastor. Karibu sana. Um, it's been mentioned by our service host for the day, Kendi Githenji Asanti Sana, that last Sunday we started a sermon series that we have dubbed the Jesus Culture. I sense that this is a conversation that we will continue to have in this season, even this coming year, because back to basics is not something you can start and finish very quickly, because if there is any tradition that the church has embraced until now, um, that has caused the word of God to have no effect, like we read from Mark chapter 7, verse 1 to 23 last Sunday, then we didn't get there in a day. We got there over the years. And therefore, this idea of back to basics is going to be our theme for quite some time, until the year 2025, emphasizing different things, until we figure out what is this Jesus culture what are these basics that God wants the church to return to? And so this is the conversation that we began last Sunday. And we talked about the children of Israel when they were in Babylon. They needed to come back now to their country, to their land. And God used different prophets, Nehemiah, Ezra. And during the time of prophet Ezra, one of the biggest concerns that he had was that while these people were in Babylon, they never had time to interact with the word of God. And so they came back with the culture and the traditions of the Babylonians. They did not interact with scripture, so they knew very little to do with their forefathers and with God. And so Ezra was committed to help these people to differentiate between what the word of God, what the law of Moses taught the children of Israel, in comparison to the traditions of the elders that had been introduced to them orally. So there was confusion with the people, the confusion with the people those days. So they didn't know at what point were they dealing with the traditions of the elders and at what point were they dealing with the law of Moses or with scripture. And so Ezra committed himself to help them. And so the season that we are in right now, um, I, 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 it looks like that the, the movie Titanic. I don't know how many of you have watched that movie. These people are doing, were minding their business, but then the ship, uh, there was an iceberg, and the, the ship hit this iceberg. But at the bottom, we all know there was this big rock that caused this, the, scene, the, um, the ship to sink, and so many people lost their lives. It feels like church has been in a space like that where you, we look at what we see on the surface, we think we are okay, until when there's a crisis and then it starts revealing that actually we had uh, problems that we could not see. We thought this is what church was until there's a COVID-19 pandemic and now it's shaking the things that we could see on the surface and we are starting to ask ourselves, what is the meaning of church? Do I need to go back to the fellowship of believers? Should I get comfortable with being online? But yet on the other hand, we are okay with going everywhere else, else and meeting people, but we, we are not very sure we won't go back to church. And like I said last Sunday, this is okay for adults who have been discipled and they know that they can take care of themselves. But what will happen to the faith of our children? Will they get themselves in a place like those who are in, the, in Babylon, who came back or the time that the Bible talks about in the book of Kings chapter 2, that a time came where there was a generation that did not know anything about God or about the God of their forefathers. So whatever is going on right now, 
the online church is a new tradition that is coming up. It has a good side in that you are able to meet people on the Zoom call and talk, but it's going to slowly kill the fellowship that scripture introduced to us in the book of Acts because you cannot have a virtual hugs and emojis can never represent the discipline of fellowship. And so this is a is a conversation that some of us may not be ready for, but we must have it because we do not want to introduce new traditions that will cause the word of God to have no effect, that one day our children will not see the value of fellowship and the value of accountability that comes with being part of the body of Christ. So that's what we talked about, and if you want to see more of that, uh, of what came out of Mark chapter 7, verse 1 to 23, you can find it on our YouTube channel, that is Nairobi Chapel Lovington. So we talked about how Pharisees came from Jerusalem and they found fault in the disciples because they did not wash hands. So they were accusing them of eating without washing their hands. And in that scripture, we were reminded of two things, that traditions can cause the word of God to have no effect. And therefore, it's important for us to keep asking the question, why do we do what we do? Because then if there's something we are doing just because it was handed down to us, just like these people handed down traditions and many other things, things that scripture mentions, then we ought to stop and ask, is there another way of doing this? Jesus gave them the example of honoring father and mother, which they, they did not do because they asked the people, instead of taking this money to your parents, you can bring it to the temple. It looked spiritual, but it was derailing them from the will of God and from the law of Moses. And therefore, the motivation of these leaders that was asking the people to bring the money to the temple was not right, even though they spiritualized it. And there are many examples about the times that we live today where sometimes we see church leaders doing things because of how they gain from it, not because they are helping people honor the word of God. Something else that came out of that text is that Jesus wants us to not focus on what is going on on the outside, but we are supposed to look within. So the main point of Jesus, even as we talk about practices in the church and uh, is that he needed to address the motivation of the, of, the, of the Pharisees. And he used very heavy language. He called them hypocrites so many times. Even if you read Matthew chapter 23, verse 1 to 23, Jesus listed several wars, and he was addressing the Pharisees, and he called them hypocrites so many times. And he told them that what you have is vain worship. It looks, it looks spiritual, but from where I stand, this is vain worship. Is there something that God could come and find in our lives as believers? Because when we talk about the church, we are talking about you and I, because we are the church. There's church leadership, then there is the church. So is there something that when Jesus comes to us today, that would cause him to say, I know you guys are very busy, you're doing all these things, but from where I stand... This is vain worship. Somebody has given us an example. I don't know who was talking. I think it's Catherine who said that, you know, the voice of the church is not being felt. So we are headed to the elections. So when we talk about the voice of the church, 
Are we talking about church leadership or the church, you and I? I think it should be both. We should hear the voice of the church leaders concerning this, uh, concerning the, the state of our country, but you should also be the voice of purpose where God has placed you concerning the state of, of this country. Because all of us, God has given us platforms that we can use to be the church. So is when Jesus looks at us, does he see a Sunday congregation and after that, vain worship? Because we forget who we are and we do not represent the values of the scripture out there. So in talking about Jesus culture, this is the conversation. We get to evaluate ourselves as the body of Christ, but you also have an opportunity to evaluate why you do what you do as an individual. We've been told about the book of, uh, of Acts, how the church met constantly. They broke bread together. Something else they did, nobody amongst them had needs because people were willing to sell land to help another person. And so as Nairobi Chapel Lavington, we have people amongst ourselves who could do with our support. And some of them may not be lined up here, but as you in, get involved in people's lives, God will show you that. As the church, Nairobi Chapel Lavington, we've had challenges with the venue. Sometimes it's just you contacting an, um, a, a, a network that you have and saying, my church is struggling with this, and saying, I'm going to be used of the Lord to be a blessing. Some of you, who knows, we would get to a place like that where people are selling land because they want to sort out the vision of a church like this so that the community can continue to benefit. When we talk about back to basics, that's what it is. But you know, sometimes when you talk about some of those things, they are, in, they are sensitive. People think, hey, Okanisa, ni about Pesa. But everything is done within a context. And so these are the things that we are talking about when you talk about the Jesus culture and back to basics. When God comes to us, does he see vain worship or does he people who are dedicated to obeying him and to doing everything that scripture asks us to do? So the bottom line is that most significant issues in the law were lost in the trivial details of the Pharisaic tradition. Any system that is governed by rules will ultimately fail. Only in the New Testament and in the teachings of Christ do we see that it is the mercy of God which leads us unto repentance, where we change and we want to do things differently because repentance is different from confession. Confession stops at I should do, but repentance is actually we do it. So this is why we are talking about the Jesus culture. It is big on motivation um, uh, because the traditions, it's big on, on motivation. The Jesus culture is big on motivation, and it's being big on being. It's not about performance. But the Pharisees were accusing the disciples of Jesus because of what they did not do. And Jesus started addressing the issue of the heart. He said, people are not defiled by what comes from outside. People are defiled because of the state of their heart. We gave a, a few examples of traditions that we see in church that have caused the word of God to have no effect. The list is very long, like the scripture says, and many such things you do. We specifically mentioned four traditions that we hope to keep coming back to, the, and we hope to keep coming back to this conversation, even uh, over this month and beyond. And we recognize that it's easy to be busy in church and engaged, but not see them impact because of traditions and practices that are interfering with what God intended. 
we mentioned that the COVID-19 pandemic has brought new opportunities our way, and it has also posed some challenges to us. I visited different churches in the U.S. This, um, in the, during this summer, and I'm also in touch with other lead pastors from different denominations. And therefore, some of these observations that I'm sharing during this series are not limited to Nairobi Chapel, Lavington. When it comes to the church, the pandemic has caused us to stop and ask ourselves why we do what we do. What are some of the things that we do in, we've done in the past that have caused the word of God to have no effect? We mentioned the abuse of the culture of honor, the mom and dad thing that sometimes we see in churches that abuse the congregants. Shaming the singles by idolizing marriage and making the single people feel like they are not good enough until they have they are married. Uh, we talked about um, we talked about being active on Sunday and committed in church, but not exercising mercy and justice, according to Matthew twenty three verse twenty three that the people we are Monday through Saturday, some people would be shocked if they knew what, who, what you do on Sundays. We also say that the tradition of Sunday service and small groups was a good tradition that we should fight to keep because the online church cannot replace the spiritual discipline of fellowship. No matter what generation you are part of, you cannot replace an in-person hug with a virtual hug and emojis. Even the generation Z cannot and that is why we must teach them how to go out and relate with other people because many of them are challenged when it comes to relating with real human beings they prefer to relate with people on the screen they understand the social media followers and likes than real engagement with people so as much as the online platforms are great for sharing content and they are also they also allow us to access content from all over the world we must understand that it is a new tradition that might harm the idea of accountability, fellowship, and authentic relationships. The latter can be messy and costly, but so is life. So let's engage with it as it comes. So there are many other traditions that we can talk about, but time will not allow us. But like I said last Sunday, we shall have a panel and that will, help, that will help us to go deeper with some of these conversations. Today we want to look at the issue of the heart. After Jesus challenged their culture and their tradition, he resolved this conversation by talking about the heart. Remember our sermon series is called The Jesus Culture for a Reason. In this story of Mark chapter 7, Jesus tells the multitudes and his disciples that if they forget everything else that he has said... They should not forget that outside challenges are not the ones that defile a man. A man is defiled by the things that come out of their heart. Meaning, as much as the traditions of the elders were not supposed to come above the word of God, Jesus knew that he needed to address, uh, Jesus addressed the motivation that was, in the, what, that was in the hearts of the Pharisees. As much as traditions were not the main issue, there was the issue of the heart. Because when you address the issue of the heart, the issue of the tradition will cease. So isn't it interesting that the Bible has so many scriptures that talk about the heart? And I just want to walk you through some of those. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do 
flows from it. Proverbs 27 verse 19 says, As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 to 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. First Peter chapter 3, verse 3 to 4 says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. First Samuel 16, 7 says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at what at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Joel chapter 2 verse 13, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. There's so much that scripture has to say about the heart. And that's why Jesus posed and said, you know, it's not about all these things you're asking the, the disciples to do. Let's address the heart. You know, we can blame the pandemic, pandemic for the inconvenience that it has brought to the church when it, the cathedrals were shut down. Um, according to Mark chapter 7, we realize that we cannot keep talking about external factors. Instead, we must raise the question of why we do what we do. What was our motivation for the church before the pandemic? Is the idea of a virtual church strengthening the church or is it making things worse? Which one is better? Many numbers of people attending a church service or many views on YouTube channel. The people who do the analysis for the social media views will tell you that very few people watch the entire service. And guess what? The majority of the viewers watch for about three seconds. Not just in Aerobic Chapel, Lovington. Uh, there is a study that has been done. The same thing, attending a Sunday service could easily produce followers and high-capacity volunteers and not disciples. The question is, have we been making disciples? Because Moas read for us Matthew 28 verse 19 to 20, where the Great Commission is stated. Good people, church numbers on Sunday, whether in an in-person service or online church, does not mean much. Our core business is to make disciples based on Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20, which says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God is with the church and the mission of the church, even during this season, where the pandemic has destabilized several things. And the church, I don't just mean the congregation here, you and I, wherever he has placed you. He is with you always 
to the very end of the age. Everything is not lost. There are so many things that we must celebrate that have gone well with the church. And I particularly want to celebrate this congregation, the Nairobi Chapel, Lavington. At the beginning of this year, we talked about church shift. And I remember the first Sunday of the month, we, the topic was an invitation to pivot. And we were looking at some of the lessons that we are picking from this season and what must change. And we talked about the Beyond Sunday movement, why we must be that church that is not just about Sunday. And it will take time for us to depart from that tradition because even resources, most of the resources of a church are tied to a Sunday service. And it does not allow the church to be impactful during the week. And so since we know this, God will continue to give us wisdom on how to depart from, you know, for lack of a better word, idolizing a Sunday program and tying the meaning of the church to mean that to a place where we see ourselves as a force and people that God has put on a mission. And so I have observed a few things that I would like to celebrate about this congregation. I would like to celebrate all the small groups that have continued to meet when we didn't have a church venue and when we had lockdowns because they understood that being church had nothing to do with a, Sunday called Sun a day called Sunday or with having a church venue. And I still remember a time we were praying about the venue and God says, do not worry about the venue. Worry whether the congregation has understood its mandate. And so I would like to celebrate those small groups. You've gone through the challenge of the pandemic like everybody else, but you understood that you had to continue being church to one another. And you have held each other during this season. We would like to celebrate you and you can clap for yourselves. We also want to celebrate the family that we belong to, that is Nairobi Chapel, for continuing with the mission of planting churches. Because out of the faithfulness of those who have gone ahead of us, that's why we are here today. And that's why there are people in the, in, uh, across this country and this um, continent and globe that are, are being served because of the faithfulness of those who've gone ahead of us. So we celebrate Bishop Oscar and the people who have gone ahead of us because of their faithfulness and obedience, we are here today. I want to celebrate the generosity of this congregation, the Nairobi Chapel Lavington family. Despite the season that we've been, I know we reported our giving for last year. We are yet to report for this. For last year, we were at 104% of our projected income. And so far, when we look at where we are until the month of October, I still see the generosity of this church. I, I see the book of Acts I, in this congregation because it doesn't make sense. You know, when a church doesn't even have a venue, for several months we did not meet but there are people in this congregation who continued to be generous. With a venue or not, we continued to distribute food to people in Kawangware. With a venue or not, there is no bill of this church that has not been paid. We have continued to pay school fees for children. And so we see people who understand that we didn't have a venue, but we understand our mandate. And so they continued to support the ministry through their generosity. We've seen people who have continued to serve, whether it was Sunday or weekday, teams that came to record sermons during the week, and then they would go back to work so that you could have a sermon to watch on Sunday. People who have continued to teach our children on Sundays, the worship team that has continued, even though it's a lean team, they have continued to, help, to hold us together and to keep the Sunday service going. We want to thank those who have understood this Beyond Sunday movement thing and have started Bible clubs in their estates. Again, 
when we understand our mandate, it goes beyond having a venue. Because with a venue or not, people started Bible clubs in their estates. We want to celebrate people who have started frontline initiatives. Just the other day, I was talking with one of us who had taken couples to Malindi and for a retreat, and he, they ministered to each other, and they came back. There was no pastor. This is someone who just came and said, pray for me. I have a retreat with eight couples in Malindi. And so that is the church, understanding its mandate. It has nothing to do with Sunday, and the only question I asked was, how can we support you as your church? Because that's what we are supposed to be. We celebrate the many of us who have continued with their personal devotion. People will never know what your commitment to your God and to the things that you're obeying God about out there are about, uh, what you're doing. But there, we know that there are people who have devoted themselves in private to honor God and to be everything that he has called them to be. So even as we have these conversations about the Jesus culture and about the things we must be careful about, we also recognize there is a lot of good that is going on in our congregation here and in the Church of Jesus Christ. Because anyway, even in history, you realize that the Church of Jesus Christ has always grown the most when there was a challenge. So what we are seeing is supposed to usher in a revival. But there must be those who will understand what God is, going, is doing and align themselves. I saw a flyer the other day that said, the older generation of ministers in this country left us with prayer, fasting, and meditation on the word of God as the keys to success in ministry. If we hand over lights, stage, entertainment, and branding, God in heaven will judge us. This is a pastor called Pastor Poju. I don't know who he's from where. He sounds like you know, West Africa. But I really like that statement that... We have talked about what Bishop Oscar has done and how they've gone ahead of us, clearing the path for us, planting churches. And they taught us the gospel as we know it and the great commission that we have read from Matthew chapter 28. But this is a possibility because of how church productions and online things are happening that we can get caught up in that and, we'll be, and hand over the traditions to our children and not relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and not disciples. So like I mentioned earlier, our theme for the year has been back to basics and we continue with this theme for some time because we need to understand how far we had fallen so that we know how do we get back online. We may be okay, but we must keep thinking about our children because the challenges they are facing are very different from the ones we have faced ourselves. One of the areas where we need a church shift is in the area of moving from doing to being. From performance to a strong identity in Christ. The Pharisees were more concerned about the disciples doing things the right way, and they overlooked the law of Moses. Sacrifices were more important to them than obedience. So where did the idea of focusing on what we need to do instead of what we need to become or who we need to become come from? This is where our text of the day will come from. And it's coming towards the close of the sermon for a reason. Luke chapter 4 verse 1 to 13. Luke chapter 4 verse 1 to 13. We are trying to figure out where did the idea of focusing on what we need to do come from instead of who we are becoming, instead of our identity in Christ. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to 13. The Bible says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, 
returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me. I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to, the, to, to Jerusalem, set him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed him until an opportune time. So we've probably come across this scripture many times. Um, first of all, you recognize that on Sunday we said Revelation 12, 12 talks about, uh, it says, woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. That when the devil was thrown on earth, he understood that his time was short and he is moving with fury. He understands the times that we are living in. And just like people say that in a crisis, there is opportunity, even the devil knows that. So he understands his time is short and he's moving with fury. And in this text, we can see that he understands spiritualizing things as well. So he's tempting Jesus and he's throwing all these things at him. And when he realizes that Jesus is responding to him with a scripture... The third time, he also uses a scripture to try and tempt Jesus further and deeper. So it's so easy, just like we saw with the Pharisees. They were twisting things, they were twisting scripture so that they could benefit. The devil does the same. And so we, ca we cannot be those people who just look at the things that are on the surface and forget that there is an intention and a motive that the enemy has. So out of this text, this scripture outlines three false identities or masks that Satan offers each one of us. And they show us the choices we too must make to remain faithful to our God-given unique life identity, which is not tied on performance, practices, or traditions, but in Jesus. Before this passage begins, we are given a snapshot of Jesus' understanding of who he is. Heaven opens, the spirit descends like a dove, and Jesus' father speaks audibly. He says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. That you will find in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, or in the beginning of the Gospels. So in other words, Jesus is told, you are lovable, you are good. It is so good that you exist. Jesus has yet to perform miracles, so he hasn't done anything yet, but he's been told these things. 
He's yet to die on the cross, but he's being told how amazing he is. Um, he, he had not died on the cross, and nonetheless, he receives an experiential affirmation that he's deeply loved by his heavenly father for who he was. Because our God affirms and celebrates who we are before we can perform. Immediately after this affirmation, the devil planted three powerful temptations. Each in its own way screams that God's love, love for you will never be enough. That's what the devil is saying across these temptations. You are not lovable. You are not good enough unless you do one, two, three. So this lie has given birth to performing artists and the music industry instead of worshippers because the devil sells performance and he overlooks the place of being. So we seek to be good enough and so we confuse excellent Sunday productions for discipleship making. Part of what I'm going to share, I borrowed from an author called Peter Scazzero from a book called Healthy Spirituality. And when he talks about the first temptation, he says, it's a temptation of I am what I do, the idea of performance. That the devil said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, tell those stones to become bread. If you are the son of God, then you can do this. You will tell the stones to become bread. Jesus had apparently done nothing for 30 years. He had not yet died on the cross. He had not yet begun his ministry. He seemed like a loser. Nobody believed in him. He was hungry. What contribution had he made to the world? Our culture asked the same question, but Jesus' culture asked different questions. Our culture asks, what have you achieved? How have you demonstrated your usefulness? What do you do? That's how we introduce ourselves. You know, um, most of us consider ourselves worthwhile if we have scored sufficient successes in work, family, school, church, relationships. When we don't, we may move harder and faster. We go inward into depression, out of shame, or perhaps blame others for our predicaments. The, in the second temptation, it's a temptation of I am what I have. This is about possessions. Jesus was taken to see all the magnificence and power of the earth. The devil basically said to him, look around at what everyone else has. You don't have anything. How can you think you are somebody? How will you survive? You are a nobody. The devil played on profound issues of fear um, and the source of his security. Our culture measures our success by what we own. Marketers now spend more time than uh, more, more, more than $15 billion each year seducing children and adolescents to believe that they have to have certain toys, clothes, electronic devices, etc. They are their very identities depend on it. As adults, we measure ourselves through comparisons. Who has, you know, who has the most money, the most beautiful body, the most comfortable life? Often our sense of worth is tied to our positions at work, the money and the perks. My culture, family of origin and flesh tell me that only, that, that only possessions and talents and applause from other people are sufficient for security. Jesus models surrender of our will to the love of the Father as a true anchor for who we are. And this is a Jesus culture. He responds to the enemy with scripture. 
the third temptation was, I am what others think. The idea of popularity. Some of us are addicted to what others think. Satan invited Jesus to throw himself down on the highest spot of the temple that people might believe him. At this point, people did not think anything of Jesus. He was, in, in effect, invisible. He could, he could think he had, how could he think he had worth and value? Most of us place a higher premium on what other people think than we realize. Than we realize. And that's what the disciples were trying to do, uh, the Pharisees were trying to do to the disciples of Jesus. I wonder if Jesus was not there to speak on their behalf, whether they would have known how much they are being put under pressure. What will I say or not say in a conversation? What school will my child attend? Where we live matters. Who will I date? Do I tell that person he or she hurt me? What kind of career will I pursue? Our self-image soars with a compliment and is devastated by a criticism. True freedom comes when we no longer need to be somebody special in other people's eyes because we know we are lovable and we are good enough. So what we are saying, we should never allow performance possessions and pop popularity to define us. And the enemy tested Jesus on these areas, in these areas. And that's where the fall of man also happened. If you go to Genesis chapter 3, the enemy came in the same way and told him, don't worry. If you eat, you will be more powerful than God. So when we talk of performance and talk of church traditions, Last year, we realized that we were running too many ministries, and we were not sure it was really allowing us to make disciples. Um, it is much easier to have a worship team that meets to practice songs, learn new songs, and lead in worship, yet they go for the years without being discipled, but we can all answer the question that they were busy. And so these are some of the things that we are trying to look at when we talk about Back to Basics. Have we been caught up with performance? We can, we can surely say that we have been busy, but can we really say this year, outside the fact that we ran so many programs, these are the disciples, and these are the, the disciple that you talk about will not be shocked that you mentioned their name because it's mutual. You have said this year I'm working with these two people because Jesus ministered to the multitudes, but he went deeper with few people. So there's a place for this Sunday congregation. There's a place for programs. And, but if we get caught up doing those, and we, we cannot say the last five years I've been in church and nobody has held my hand, nobody has discipled me, or have, I have not discipled anyone, then perhaps we have get, gotten caught up with practices and traditions. And so these are the questions we are trying to answer. And we will, you will continue to hear a lot of this conversation in the coming year. Because Sunday, sun, Sunday service production is expensive. The administration of, just pure administration of this church for the year 2019 costs more than 10 million shillings. And so as much as um, we know that God blessed us in that way, it's important to ask, are we using the resources that God has given us, the, the time, the volunteers? 
to make disciples or have we gotten caught up with something that looks like church? It's busy, but at the end of the day, people walk empty or they, they, they are not able to conquer some things in their lives because they are not finding a place where they get that challenge or accountability or love and support. These are just questions we are asking ourselves in this season. So any new initiative that you will see in this season is about strengthening relationships and equipping people in small groups. You saw the people that stood here that we celebrated, the three of them. Um, and with our Beyond Sunday movement, we said we will go deeper with them. Before we can go and call so many children from Kawangware to come and be part of that program, we have these ones who are already on it. Can we impact their lives differently? Can we pour into their lives? They're already here serving. Their motivation was not because they would get that, but can, also, can we also be church to them through our networks, grow them in their skill. The, the church will continue to benefit, but above all, they will also grow in, the, in becoming everything God has called them to be. Church has been accused of caring more about looking Christian than being Christian. So we understand Christmas trees, white gowns in weddings, Easter decorations, eggs and bunnies, black funerals. If you show up in a red dress, it looks like it's heretical. I don't know where that came from. Is it in the Bible? No struggling Christians are allowed. Uh, so we miss on the opportunity to mentor people when we just point fingers. I have done this to people. And this has also been done to me. But we are saying that this is not the Jesus culture. The church has been accused of treating the affluent better. Their funeral meetings are well attended. We do not want people who are struggling financially in our small groups because they become a burden. Their prayer items is always about nyumbangu, imefungwa, and what have you. So we have forgotten to a good extent the art of being, but we have not failed in the area of performance. So what must we do? Number one, we need to identify and approve the practices in our church and in our lives that have caused the word of God to have no effect. Number two, we need to identify our identity in Christ. It needs to be in Christ and not in performance. As a church, but also as individuals. You know, in hindsight, I can't believe all the programs you were running we, we were going bumper to bumper with Nairobi Chapongong Road, which is 30 years old plus. Are there areas where you cared too much about what people think so that your performance stems out of there? Does what you, um, uh, what you do define your self-worth? Do the things you own and have make you view yourself as important or not important? The thing is, culture is leader-led. Our upbringing, our elders, our leaders and environments, our organizational cultures can impact us negatively or positively. The Jesus culture keeps us aligned. Mentorship and coaching. Are you a voice of purpose to someone? Schedules that allow your business to deliver both profit and healthy families. 
I mentioned this last Sunday, and this is a big one, because we have aligned so much to the culture of the world. that um, the Jesus culture is not known anymore, and it's actually strange. So that um, some people have people who work for them, but they don't give them leave days because they have to deliver profits. But we've been called to also deliver healthy families. Come up with schedules that allows your people to be so that they're not always doing. And this is a big one. And sometimes it's the kind of things that we hear, but they pass us because you, we need to get into these small groups, group spaces that we are talking about that will be introduced to break it down so that we see how it's causing the word of God to have no effect. And thirdly, we need to find trusted companions, people that share in the value of being more than doing and allow them to hold us accountable. Because if you surround yourself with people who are always on the move, then you will affirm each other. Well, probably you need that person who helps you slow down. And I have found this to be very help helpful myself because I have a personality that sees things doing more than being. But then I realize while I'm learning that for myself, it's something that many of us struggle with and we need to think about so some of the spaces that we've been talking about and we'll continue to launch them slowly, like I said, anything we are launching has to do with strength, equipping people or strengthening relationships or equipping people in their place of being. It's a silver club, a fellowship for those who are in their 50s and above. It's a place, workshops for parents and marriage enrichment to enrich relationships. It's to continue strengthening our small groups, that is the A groups, and it's to have small groups for people in the marketplace where you can encourage each other and give each other this accountability that we are talking about. When you talk of the Jesus culture, we are talking about radical change at the core of our being. At least two critical forces hinder such a profound shift. First, the pressure of others to keep us living lives that are not our own is enormous. And second, our own stubborn self-will is much deeper and more insidious than we think. So the possibility of self-deception is so great that without mature companions, we can easily fall into the trap of living in illusions. And so when we start contacting you for these things, please sign up because it's one thing to hear, but it's another one, another thing to get into the journey. This has helped me in my own leadership journey. I think more than ever before the year 2020 and 2021, I have become more self-aware. And there are things I've told God. I would rather not serve in, in a church if I cannot get this right. Because I recognize that it's so easy to just keep doing things how they were done, how they were demonstrated. But it's not necessarily the Jesus culture. So I don't know what this means for you. Next Sunday, we will have a panel where we'll discuss some topics. Again, we will not go deep with this, and that's why this must continue to be a conversation in the coming years until we get back to basics and be the church that God called us to be and be the Ezra's eventually that will bring people to that place where we say we have a generation that no longer understands scripture, and it's our role to help them understand the faith of our forefathers and who, I, who Yahweh is because just because people are attending church or just because people 
can switch from one channel to another does not necessarily mean that we are making disciples. Amen? So I'm going to invite the worship team to come on stage. And we are going to, to just uh, say a, uh, a closing prayer while they play softly in the background. But I just want to give you some time to reflect on what does this mean for you? What does this mean for you? Are there practices in your life that you need to, to uproot? Are there good things that you need to say no to? Why do you do the things that you do? Is it because of the applause you get from people? Is it because of how people look at you and think about you? How many of us here have the authority at work to make decisions that impact people's lives? This may not be the famous way in the marketplace, but what will you do about it in, in the desire of aligning to the Jesus culture? Father, we come before your presence and we thank you because you are a good God. Lord, your word says that it never goes out and comes back void without accomplishing the purpose to which it was sent. We thank you, Lord, for every individual that is represented here. We specifically want to pray for those who have opportunities and, and authority to make decisions that will unlock so many things for the people that work for them. That God will give them the courage to go and align to the Jesus culture, even where it's not famous, because they'll have honored you. We pray for ourselves, those who have been Christians for so long and have gotten used to a certain way of doing things without questioning why we do what we do, that in our own private times that, Lord, you will visit us and through the help of the Holy Spirit, you'll start having certain conversations with us. Because, Lord, you saying you said to the disciples or to the Pharisees that what they had was vain worship. Is there a place in our lives where you look at us, you say, oh, you guys look busy, you're spending a lot of money, but... Here and there, vain worship. I'm not in it. Lord, if there's anything like that in our midst, here at the Nairobi Chapel Lavington, or in our families, or in our own walk with you, I pray that God would reveal those things to us. Because our desire is that your word would have impact in our lives. We pray for our children, the children that you've given us. The practices and challenges that come their way are so different. Some of them we don't even understand. But we remain the spiritual authorities in their lives. And so I pray that God would help every parent that is here in the name of Jesus to know how to disciple their children in a season like this, both in community, to, in bringing them to, in, to be in fellowship with other people, but even when they are at home. That in everything that we do here, Lord, may it be to empower us to go and be those parents that are primary disciples because that's what you've called us to be. Sometimes we don't understand what this means, but we thank you because, Holy Spirit, you said you are a teacher, that you reveal to us what is in the mind of the Father. And that's what we ask, Jehovah. It won't take experience. It won't take being, having gone to Bible school. As much as you will use the discipleship content and programs that we have here in church, 
that Holy Spirit of God, you are not limited by those things. That as we commit ourselves to you, Lord, you are going to do a deeper work in our lives. Heavenly Father, we thank you because your culture will be our culture. Thank you because you are a good God. We recognize that we have an enemy. He uses spiritual language, things that look church-ish to get to us and to twist the truth of your word. But I pray that we will not settle for spiritual language, that we will settle for the truth. We will allow your truth to be what drives us, to be what motivates us to be what gives us a response to every challenge that we encounter as we parent our children, as we lead in our workspaces and everywhere that we find ourselves. The Church of Jesus Christ will only get stronger even after this pandemic. And so Jehovah God, I thank you because you will use men and women who will seek you in this season to understand what you're doing and they will rise up and be those who are frontliners. They will be the church beyond Sunday. They will create movements wherever they find themselves. They will be unashamed to represent the Lord Jesus Christ and your values and what scripture says because they will not tie their faith to a Sunday service. This is a place where they come to receive so that they can go out and be everything that you've called them to be. We honor you, Jehovah God, and we give you praise. Because there's any one of us in our midst who has never known the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It would be difficult for you to align yourself to a Jesus culture, to a Jesus you have not honored, to a Jesus you have not surrendered to. And so this morning we'd like to give you an opportunity and say a prayer together with you. If you're there and you would like to make a decision and say, to align myself to this Jesus culture, I need to first say yes to this Jesus would like to pray for you. Is there anyone like that? And in case you're watching us online, you can always reach out to us because it would be our joy to pray together with you. So as we go into a new week, we commit each and every one of you into the hands of our Father that he would guide you and watch over you that he would continue to fill your minds with the truth of his word and that he will continue to teach you what it means to align to the Jesus culture. Our God is faithful. He's been across generations. He will remain faithful. He has said that he will watch over his word to perform it. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you and have a lovely week.